Welcome to the Part of the Noise podcast. I'm Scotty Hughes. Today we talk with my friend, businessman, entrepreneur, former football player, Andre Johnson. Not that Andre Johnson, but his name is Andre. Uh, We talk about the current state of hip-hop and how it may be perpetuating racism in America. We also talk about the shaming of black Republicans and good old Kanye West. So please enjoy today's episode. Hip hop anonymous. All right, here we are with Andre Johnson. How's it going, Andre? Good. How you doing? Doing all right. Um, how long have we known each other? Man. It's got to be almost 10 years, if not 10 years at least. Yeah. It has to be almost 10. 10, you think? I would say 10. I know, I forget. 2009? Our second week of the church was a four-year anniversary. Yeah. So, it has to be almost 10. Yeah, pretty close. (laughs) For those of you who don't know Andre, he's um, he used to play... We played at Minnesota. Yeah, played at Minnesota, yep. And played football. What position? Uh, inside linebacker. Inside linebacker. And then you were, you were on, um, not, what is that called? With a practice squad. Practice squad. Tampa Bay and Seattle. Tampa Bay and Seattle. So big boy. <laughs> uh, but agile. Like, no. <laughs> I I have this memory of you <laughs> that, till this day, like, I still am in shock and awe. And so, yeah. We were. It was a men's conference, yep. and it was one of the one of the first ones where we had like I think four teams, oh, four the, colors, the Ramona one, and and we're playing dodgeball um, on these tennis courts, That's right. and we had these backpacks on <laughs> right. that we didn't know what was in the backpack. That's right, I forgot about that. And uh, and you had to carry this backpack with you the whole time. Yep. And <laughs> <laughs> the sleeves with the oranges or whatever. And and so, but you, you couldn't look in it till the end of the conference to see what was in this backpack. You just had to carry it, and that was the original version That's of right, the, burden. the burden. And so we're we're playing dodgeball, and this this ball comes flying, and I see you like feet leave the ground turning through the air, <laughs> hit the ground, pop up on your feet like a cat, and chuck and throw somebody out. And I was just like, what in the world? <laughs> he did play football. Because, you know, you're, you're bigger now, yeah, but, like, like I, I did not think now. you could move like that still. And I, I was shocked. And I was – my jaw dropped. And I was like, oh, we're not worthy. We're not yeah, I was probably still about three fifteen back then. Yeah. <laughs> oh man, but you you moved is like crazy. Other thing too about you, Andre, is you're actually one of the most intelligent guys I know. <laughs> um, and I, you know, I, so it's like you know the the you don't fit the stereotype of, of the dumb jock. No. You're actually very well educated. Um, you know, you you could have got scholarships. Um, probably for academics just as much as for playing sports. And so uh, I know uh, all the time we have, you know, conversations that, you know, you you, kind of, you just pull some stuff out of there and be like, oh, whoa, (laughs) reading up on that. Okay, I see. (laughs) Um, But at the same time, you're so down down to earth and relatable. And, um, uh, 
sometimes you 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 might not see that side of you yeah, you just be like oh yeah you know and so it's one of the things i love about you um but i i definitely you know there's some things that i kind of wanted been wanting to talk about here on the podcast and uh but i didn't want uh you know two white people talking about <laughs> it <laughs> like uh, there's things i'm like you know because that could just come off as like you know just you know not what you speak of you know you have uh no no concept of this and you know and even with my my upbringing and you know i've already mentioned it on this podcast how you know growing up uh, you know on eight mile right and and going to a mostly black school i there's times in my life where i i've i probably felt more black than white and um and so I think even that's part of the reason why we get along sometimes oh, yeah. too. Is cause... It's tough being out there at 8 Mile. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, but the the topic, well, actually, before we jump into that, um, tell, tell us about yourself. Where, where were you raised? I'm from Chicago. From, from Chicago. Project Chicago called Cabrini Green. If you've ever seen Candyman, that's where that was filmed. Okay. It was in Cabrini and Hoop Dreams. Also has a couple spots from Cabrini. And uh, there's actually a cameo of Cabrini in the movie White Boys about the white rapper that goes uh, from Iowa and goes down to Cabrini to score some drugs and come back to Chicago. Um, it's pretty, it's uh, a guy's famous. Who's in that? I can't remember his name right now. He's really famous, but he's a, he plays the police a lot in the movies. But yeah, that's, white that's Boys. actually a big cameo. There's a movie uh, that came out, I think, last year or something, White Boy Rick. Oh, that was good. That was really good. I didn't see that it. That's from Detroit. That is from That's Detroit. Uh, that was my boy. <laughs> I remember uh, I remember Kid Rock but back before when he actually was a rapper and not a country star. And I remember him talking about oh, White Boy Rick and uh, the the mythical lore about him. <laughs> um, White Boys. Yeah, I don't. I, that one's not drawing a name on me. But, um, okay, so that's the area you're from. Yep. And then uh, you stayed there all the way through? I I was going back and forth between uh, Minnesota and Chicago, pretty much, you know, getting in trouble, actually, was what happened. And then I'd go back and forth. My grandma would send me, my mom would send me back to my grandma's house. And uh, that's where uh, those guys would, um, you know, I'd get in trouble in Chicago, get in trouble. They send me to Minneapolis, get in trouble in Minneapolis, send me back to Chicago. I actually went to like 13 different elementary schools before sixth grade. White boys. Yeah, hmm. look that up. That's old. I didn't, yeah, I've never <laughs> seen that one. I'm like looking at it, I'm like, I don't recognize that. Um. Okay. And then, so with Minnesota, was that a scholarship thing? Yeah, I went to Minnesota. And actually, it was funny. I got into MIT, Harvard, Caltech, pretty much everywhere academically. So I got a perfect SAT score. But I also played football, wrestling, and track. So could have pretty much went anywhere for any sport. I chose to go to Minnesota because they were number one in the country in chemical engineering. And it was right down the street. So I decided to go there and play football and do Kimmy. So. See, this is what I'm talking <laughs> about, dude. I didn't even know chemical engineering. Yeah, that was my first degree. And then I got an academic scholarship. Went to University of San Diego. Double majored in oh. econ and finance. Then I went back to Chicago and got a master's in business from University of Chicago. So I've been around a little bit. So have you done anything with the chemical engineering? Never. Not one no. day. 
<laughs> I was gonna say, I, I was graduated like, I, with it. It was like it went straight to football, then went straight to business school. Never yeah, really. I was gonna say, I was like, really, I mean, I the mean, math make, it makes math a lot easier. Like the math and science and able to put data together in packages and things uh, definitely helped. I'll try to learn how computer science and coding and all that, just understanding how things work. But I've literally never the worst. I had the worst job ever as a junior. I got assigned to General Mills to try to add twenty percent more raisins to crispy wheats and raisins. <laughs> and it was literally the worst job I ever had. I so said, I'm never doing this job. This is terrible. It Two scoops of raisins. <laughs> it was like, this Two is scoops. the worst job ever. <laughs> Walk around in a lab coat with thousands of Petri dishes, measuring moisture and density and mold. Oh, it was awful. I was mm. like, I'm never, this is, this is what this job is. I never want to do this. Yeah. If anybody's listening, you're going to engineering school, go for petroleum engineering. That's where all the money's at. Got a kid that just graduated from University of Houston this year, 23 years old, just got 20... Two hundred twenty thousand dollars to go to Conoco for a, a, a petroleum engineering degree. So that's that's where the money's at now. Wow. Yeah. No, I I went to Bible school. So. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> a future of poverty was in store for me. <laughs> well, I started off actually engineering, and um, and then went towards vehicle design, and then I ended up at Bible school. Oh wow. So. Um, yeah, the engineering, I, I was just, I was, I was okay at it and uh, I was actually mainly doing it for the scholarship because it was kind of a hybrid high school thing. So it was like you did two years in high school, two years in a community college and then two years at Lawrence Tech, which was kind of like a huge. Like DeVry is now. I don't know about DeVry. DeVry's in Chicago. I think Lawrence Tech is the same version of it. Yeah, Lawrence Tech was pretty much like one of the, the most elite schools in Michigan for um, engineering. And uh, it just, I don't know, I think I was through my first year and I was just like, why am I doing this? <laughs> I was like, is it just because I got the scholarship? And um, I ended up changing tracks and going into vehicle design. And then, uh, yeah, and then after that year, I ended up in Bible school. And it was kind of worked out with it not going into vehicle design because pretty much uh, the car companies... You know, oh, in 2008, yeah. everything, gone. boom. And even before then, they were laying people oh, off and getting rid of. Right. And it was just not pretty. Um, I don't know how city's rebounding now, but... Flint's still pretty bad. <clears throat> yeah. Oh, Flint Town. I, I, <laughs> did you see that show, oh. Flint Town? Nah. The movie? There was a... Or not a movie, it was like a docu-series on Netflix called Flint Town. I started watching it because it was the cops, that one, right? Yeah, yeah, it was yeah. about the cops. That was tough. I was like, they only have like 10 patrolmen for the whole city yeah. or something. That was crazy. Yeah. Yeah, I know. I kind of, I think I got about a few episodes in and I think I just faded out. Um, but the, uh, and so you're, you're here now in San Diego. Mm-hmm. Wife, three kids, boys, boys are... Football studs, uh, yeah, football, baseball, yeah. football and baseball. How? And you, you don't have. You could lie. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> how? How? What percentage would you say that they are uh, could play in the NFL or? See, it's like, it's tough because what goes into that formula is a lot of how healthy you are. Yeah. Right? So, I play with guys that are phenomenal players that. That one injury took him out of the game. Yeah. 
And I also was a guy that played, started in the Big Ten, me personally, got to the league, got cut and sent home, and watched my backup from college play for seven years. So mm-hmm. a kid that backed me up in college <laughs> gets on a different team and makes the roster because he's not playing with Derek Brooks and all these future Hall of Famers at Tampa Bay like I did, goes to Atlanta and plays for seven years. So you just never really – it's hard. And to be honest with you, football wasn't really my passion. Wrestling was more my passion. So when football got taken away from me, it didn't hurt that bad. Uh-huh. And I already had a degree. I was kind of like, eh, I'm over it. I met with Coach Holmgren, and he's like, hey, you're good at everything. You're not great at anything. That's why you'll never make this league. And I'm like, okay, I can live with that. And I left. Hmm. <laughs> that was the end of it. He's like, everything you do is good, but nothing you do is great. And this league's made of great players. Wow. All right, thanks, Coach. Shook his hand, and I was out. <laughs> that was the end of it. Hmm. Well. Well, my kids are much better than I was. I was not that good. They're way better than I was. <laughs> Do you think, is that what they want? Champ, for sure. My older son definitely wants to play. My younger son actually wants to get drafted for baseball. He's actually on target. He's tracking to be drafted out of high school and not even go to college. So oh. that's really his. That's the track he's on right now. And he said his backup plan is if nothing works out, he'll just go to Harvard or Princeton and do football and baseball. <laughs> That's his backup plan. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Or maybe what a nice he thought about Yale, but yeah. he's not really sure about Yale baseball. So <laughs> Princeton and Harvard are his first two choices. Some good pedigree there. That's what I'm talking about. There we go. Well, so one of the things I wanted to kind of talk about today um, on the podcast was um, this thought, this idea that I had, and uh, but I like I said, I was like I don't just want to white people's opinions on this. Yeah. Um, was the topic of is you know hip hop perpetuating racism in America? And I love hip hop. I love um, you know like. Uh, Growing up, my, you know, that was the culture that I was, was steeped in. You know what I mean? From, you know, Dr. Dre and the Chronic and Snoop Dogg, Doggy Style and Wu-Tang Clan. And, you know, all these different hip-hop artists were this, the soundtrack of my youth. And, you know, and when I became a Christian, though, I kind of needed, I had to like, okay, wait, maybe I shouldn't be listening to this. And I, I kind of put it away and uh, try to find, you know, some Christian hip-hop artists. <laughs> that, <laughs> it wasn't a lot of good Christian no. hip-hop, to be honest. Now there's some there's some lot. legit stuff, you know, with, like, Lecrae and uh, the 116 Click and all those guys. There's actually some good stuff. But back then it was just kind of like, yeah, this is kind of good. Oh, yeah. This is kind of good, Antonius. Um, but even then, like there's still artists that, um, and maybe we even talk about this later, Kanye, you know, like I loved, I still love his, some of his stuff. And, um, but the, 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 the thought from this idea, it not only just from kind of the language of of words, they won't let die, you know, the N word. Um, but the what i've seen what i've noticed now the trend with these these upcoming rappers and um soundcloud rappers <laughs> <laughs> is is things like 
I'm going to tattoo my face now. And if, if if you want to make it now, you have to be an artist who's going to tattoo his face. Right. <laughs> and and I kind of and I it, it had me step back and I'm like, man, you are pigeonholing yourself that like this is the only thing I'm going to do in ever. ever and work on a record store. Uh, yeah, exactly. Because <laughs> uh, otherwise, if this hip hop thing doesn't pan out for you, you. <laughs> You work at a dispensary you, or a car wash. Yeah, where are you gonna work with <laughs> face tats and, and you know neck tats and, and and even these SoundCloud rappers? These tats aren't—they're not even like good tats. Mm-hmm. They're like like a chicken scratched your face yeah. tats. And I just kind of—I was like, this is, you know, I mean, because most, you know, uh, mainstream hip-hop is you know the owners of it are all these major companies they're they're, they're white powerful people yeah. and i'm like is this uh, somehow a subliminal way that they're gonna keep black people stuck in hood mentality <laughs> yeah. and ghetto ghettoism that like they're never going to get out of because now these are the people they're emulating right well part of the challenge is i mean guys like me who i felt this firsthand i went back Chicago and Minnesota after coming out of two college degrees and was basically received as Uncle Tom, as a sellout, as mm. a punk, as, oh, well, you're not hood anymore. You lost yeah. your card. You're not part. You're not. And not only are you not hood, you're not black. And one of wow. the things that I've even challenged myself, I've actually met this myself. You being from Detroit, I'm like, okay, well, he's from Detroit, so he gets street cred with me. You say you're from Wyoming. I'm like, <laughs> come on, man. Get out of here with that Wyoming stuff. Yeah. And we do that to black people. So I'll yeah. be a black guy that says he's from Kansas or from Montana. And I'm like, yeah. you're not black like me. Yeah. I'm more black than you. So black people in general, we predefine our blackness and our place in America by how hard it was where we're from. Yeah. How hard is that struggle? So when hip hop comes in and says, I'm the most hood guy in the world. I'm so hood. I'm going to tattoo my face. I'm going to show everybody. And then other kids see that and go, oh, wow, that's what really looks like blackness. And then the white people are sitting back going, okay, that's perfect for us. Because you've already redefined your own institutional racism. and defied. So anytime someone like me shows up in a Brooks Brothers suit and jumps out of a Lexus, I'm an Uncle Tom. Yeah. That same white man jumps out the suit, and he made it. He's a success story. Now, if I jump out a Range Rover with 22s and a tattooed face and a gold grill, I got I'm, everybody wants to be like me. Mm-hmm. I start coming out and saying, hey, guys, you should study for your math SAT. It's really important. <laughs> They're like, nah, I'm not trying to hear all that. I'm like, no, really, this is really important. More math. If I start making an album called More Math, More Money, nobody's going to care. You know, and that's... <laughs> And the way they use the words, what's happened is, I grew up in an era where black people didn't say the N-word in front of white people. Yeah. It was mixed company, unless someone like you, right? Yeah, yeah. You're gonna, we're, we'll give you a pass. Every, every hood has that one white boy that's down. So that was probably you where you're from. In our neighborhood, we had this kid named Hig. And it was like, hey, Hig's with us. He, he, you, don't, you can't ever say it. Yeah, But we're yeah. going to say it in front of you, and that's okay. Yeah. And what's changed is, because it's such a big part of the language and the discussion and the hip-hop and the conversation. You got white kids. My kids go to school at a $45,000 a year school, one of the top 10 schools in the United States, and they hear the N-word four or five times a day. 
colloquial, yeah. nicely, not attacking, not hey you n word. It's what's up n word. Hey, what's happening? Let's go do. And they're and it's the craziest thing is it's white kids talking to each other. Yeah, and you're like, wait a minute, these two white kids just said that as if that was a term of endearment, as if it's homeboy brother bro. Yeah, and it's like this is different. And so what's changed is now when my kids come in and say, hey. Don't say that to me. They don't understand. Yeah. They're like, that's not racist. What do you mean? That's what's wrong with that? Why can't I say that? I didn't say N-I-G-G-E-R. I said N-I-G-G-A. Hey, I'm your friend and we're supposed to be boys. And, yeah. and it makes it really difficult for kids, especially kids like mine who are pretty intelligent and very large <laughs> and very athletic. They're supposed to feel like, I mean, I had a, my son had a 20 minute conversation with a white kid at his school about how he wasn't really black because his dad had a degree and was in the house. <laughs> you have a dad, your dad has a degree, he has a job, you're not black. Black people don't have dads in their home. Black people don't look like that. Black people don't do what your dad do does. Wow. So you can't be black. And this is, where else is he going to get these sources of information besides hip-hop culture? Yeah. Because everybody's, my daddy was a junkie, my daddy was a pimp. My daddy was this. He was not around. Blah, blah, blah. There's not that many hip-hop artists talking about, yeah, my, I saw my dad every Father's Day for my whole life. Like, that's that's not a rhetoric we want to promote. So a kid like my kid has to go out there and redefine his blackness. Yeah. <laughs> because he's not accepted by that. And then even worse, when he goes to L.A., those same black kids almost echo what the white kids are saying, just in a different way. Like, hmm. You're an Uncle Tom's kid. <laughs> Your dad uses big words, <laughs> and he, he does this and that. that gets, I understand. And then I catch myself going back to what I said earlier. I start talking about Chicago, talking about Cabrini. I'm like, no, nah, man, I'm hood. Let me prove it to you. So now I have to pull out my hood card yeah. and prove to you I'm really this kid. And it's like, what am I doing? I don't give up. This is a 14-year-old boy. I'm not having yeah. this conversation with this kid. And so it's very, you know, I, uh, what's funny is this weekend we're at USC, which is in the right in Inglewood. And I went down to the little Ralph's down the street and it was hilarious because within three minutes of me being there, I was right back in Chicago. Mm. Like mentally, I, w- I start walking different. Mm. I'm talking different. I'm dapping dudes up I've never seen in my life. <laughs> I'm calling people homie. Like, I'm like, what the hell happened? Like, I went three blocks from the USC Business School of Marshall and all of a sudden I'm in Vermont and Figueroa and I'm, <laughs> I'm a hood dude now. Like, what just changed? And I always equate it to, I had a good conversation with somebody today because we have a lot of foreigners in our church. And they said, you grew up in a foreign country that first 5, 7, 10, 13 years of your life, you're going to have an accent. There's yeah. going to be a certain dialect and certain words you use from that country. And so for me, I have a hood accent. I spent yeah. 22 years broke. So it doesn't matter how many years I'm not broke. The first 22 years, I was hood. So I don't yeah. know how to get rid of that. And as minute you put me in that environment to talk like that, you hear people go back to Australia or Germany or the South or whatever, they pick up on the accent right away. Yeah. And so yeah. when you look at hip hop, hip hop's doing a really good job of making everywhere hood. And it's crazy because you got kids in Brezzy Ranch and La Jolla and Seattle and everywhere around the world, like this is what it makes to be hood. But they don't realize none of those rappers live there anymore. All yeah. those guys live in the suburbs they all live in big houses and drive rolls royces and 
you know, to be funny, it's like they're robbery targets now. Those are the dudes as a kid. I would rob those dudes. Yeah. Like, I would roll those dudes up at the gas station. They pull up in a Rolls Royce and some gold teeth. You're coming out all those pockets. Like, yeah. I don't even know what you're talking about right now. I, well, you know, one rapper that is is very interesting to me that I, I don't understand. Um, I mean, he makes good music is Drake. Right. He's Canadian. He's Canadian. And he was like on Degrassi High, right. <laughs> Aubrey, and uh, and but he he somehow managed to like have a uh, uh, like a, a hip hop career and, and people like respect and love him. But uh, like I don't think any of his he's never um, he has never been about I guess you know like how many times I got shot at no. you know. What what said I was claiming, that kind of thing. What um, Drake did to me was he kind of changed the game a little bit because he came in and said, "I'm just going to tell you my story. Yeah. I'm going to tell you what I'm trying to do, and there's nothing you can do about it." I think he was he came in that wave behind Jay Z when Jay Z was doing the older, the newer stuff where it's like they have that song about turning forty about how he's you know he's he went from flipping G's to riding in G fives, right? It's like yeah. He's not living that life anymore. I'm not trying to do that no more. But then you came out with all these mumble raps and these guys, uh, you know, that Philly, Minnesota song. Every time it comes on, I just get sick to my stomach. The what song? There's a song called Philly, Minnesota by Young Yachty. And it's like... Lil, oh, Lil, Lil Yachty? Yachty? Whatever. Yeah, he's awful. <laughs> but it's like, this is what music's come to now. And it's yeah. like, this doesn't even require talent. And in the bigger circle, you have kids... I just want this many likes. I want this. I want that. I don't have to be talented anymore to be famous. And even scarier, I don't have to be that talented to be rich anymore. Yeah. So you have kids that I know a kid literally right now from Del Norte High School. Daddy went to Stanford. Mom went to Cal. Black kid. Had a full ride academically to Cal Poly, Pomona, Creighton, all over the country. But he's a rapper. And he has whatever amount of likes. So he passed up on going to school because he's like, he's like, I, uh, could, I have this many likes. What are you talking about? He's like Clarence it's like, from well, uh, 8 Mile. Right. He's like, what am I doing? <laughs> I have both my mom and dad. And I went to Cranbrook. <laughs> exactly. It's like, what are you doing? Why are you doing this? And I talked to his dad. I've known his dad for years. He's like, I can't take this away from him. I have to let him run this race. Yeah. And if it doesn't work, he, that education is not going anywhere. He can always go back. Yeah. So it's like this guy's out here trying to make studio time and doing all this stuff. It's like, what What happened to just, okay, I guess that makes you famous now. And it's, do, it's you th- do you think there is a place for hip-hop to, to make a change or to grow? Or do you think it will continue to just, no, this is how we're going to keep it. I mean, I think Drake and Jay-Z and some of the other, you know, if we, like we grew up in that area with the PM Dons, the De La Souls, and the mm-hmm. Diggable Planets, and the, the thought rappers, if you will. Yeah, yeah. Um, Farside. Development, Farside. Like, they were not about that life. They were talking yeah, yeah. about world peace and black thought and black consciousness and money in your pockets and... Like, I think there's a, there's people still doing that. I just don't think it's very popular on the radio. Yeah. Like, when I came over here, it's, you know, it's either about sex, it's either about moving weight and drugs and doing stuff, or they're just mumbling and you don't even know what they're saying. It's just such a good beat. You can't turn it off. Yeah. You're like, man, this beat is hot. 
I don't even know what he's talking about, but <laughs> I like it. And so that's Panda, Panda, Panda. It's like, like okay, well, Panda. What Panda. are we talking he likes Panda about? Express. Okay, yeah, we, he got that we, Mac coupon. I guess. I mean, I like pandas, but but that's just you know, and it's hard because it really does move you. You're like, man, this beat is hot. Like even I catch myself like, what am I doing with this crap? And the yeah. kids have been laughing at me because I've been playing a lot of rock 105, a lot of heavy metal because I've always listened to it. Because I went to integrated school and uh, for high school, and kind of got into that Metallica and all that grunge stuff. Like, I love yeah. that stuff. So it's like the kids are like, "How do you know these songs?" I'm like, "I have no idea. I have no I, like. I don't know how I know this. I just know it all. It's kind of funny." Yeah, yeah. No, that's um, it, that was kind of you know with my. I was kind of one of, all my friends were mostly just straight hip hop. I was the one kid that was still listening to like. I loved all kind of music. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm listening to, you know, Nirvana and Pearl Jam and Soundgarden and, mm-hmm. and in the 90s, all these bands, Bush. And and uh, and then even then I, I was deep, deep diving. So I'm listening to like Jimi Hendrix oh, and Led wow. Zeppelin and and The Doors and Black Sabbath. And uh, but then at the same time, I'm like, you know, I just loved music. So I'm Tupac, Biggie, oh, yeah. like, you know, like all this stuff. You know, and then you even had, some, you know, the 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 Detroit stuff. Mm. I'm talking about the good stuff. The insane clown posse. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but, yeah. Kid Rock. Kid Rock, when he was still a DJ? Yeah, yeah. Kid Rock, you know, there's some of those. I'll, I'll be like, I'll go back and I'll try, I'll listen to a little. I was like, oh, man, this is, this is good. Um, yeah. And but the, there is a place for that. If people want to buy it, that's the thing. Is it's always going to be a show business thing. Yeah, I think Jay Z. I think Dr. Dre. If you rewind the clock, he figured out how to do something nobody had ever done. He figured out how to make music for the radio that white people would buy and listen to, and then make enough tracks for the black folks that they're like the hood people to be like, hey. He's not all the way out there. He's not gone to 100% commercial. Yeah, and I yeah. think he's he, he, that formula has been replicated enough time to kind of figure out, okay, wait a minute, I can make this song and do that song. Because I grew up with the two live crews and the teams like that where yeah, like, yeah. you had to t- literally make two albums. You had a p- yeah. explicit album and the radio album, J, you know, Easy E, NW, I have the NWA, Straight Outta Compton, clean album. Like, it's like, it's awful. It's like, literally, it's a completely different album because I had no choice. They had yeah. to make a clean, the radio edit, you know? And it's like, wow, okay, well. Yeah, and even even music. radio edits, like, yeah, Nowadays, that, that was like my, you know, hip the hip-hop I grew up with, you, it, there wasn't a lot that could actually be played on the radio. No. There, there was a few songs that they could make <laughs> a few adjustments to that they could play on the radio, Um but yeah, and but now I feel like they, there's actually more of a, they're, they're not even putting out like edited versions anymore. No, they don't bother. They don't even bother. They just with the words and they figure out what time. Like, so it's funny. I'm in LA a lot. LA lets a lot more words flip through. Oh really? Yeah, a lot. They allow a lot more, and especially late at night. Forget it. Oh. After ten o'clock in LA, it's like eh, might as well be college radio. They'll play whatever they want. Yeah. So it's like, oh, wow, I didn't know you could say that on the radio. It's like, man, it's after 10. I'm like, okay. <laughs> I guess this is okay. And so it's very different up there. Yeah. Um, 
I know. So I mean, in the so there's not um, with hip hop. It's like this love hate thing. It's like mm-hmm. I love hip hop, but the other side of me is like, man, but is this is this hurting our culture? Is this hurting music in general? Is it, you know, and is this hurting? Um, is this perpetuating racism? Because it's like I as much as we want to get past racism. For some reason, we just won't let it die. No, it's tough. I mean, <laughs> we, I tell people we don't. Story. We don't want to let it die. I tell people the story all the time. I was doing some stuff in Washington D.C. Um, it was a black caucus, all black Congress people, and the Department of Homeland Security chief attorney, woman, Duke undergrad, Harvard Law. There's no one in the room that's not black except for GE Securities corporate attorney, one white guy, thirty-seven people in the room. He leaves his plate at the table. The Duke-educated Harvard Law graduate who has a job that this guy would dream to have, she's the chief counsel for the Department of Homeland Security. She's almost in tears. She's so mad and says, can you believe this? Put it explicit in whatever you want. This white boy saw 37 N-words in the room and said, one of these is going to grab my plate. I'm not putting my plate away. One of these dudes is going to grab my plate. It's like, what the? There's no way that that guy was thinking that thought. But here she is. She's lowered herself with education, with all the things she has, with the position, the title, the money, all the words of the law. In her mind, she's still just a little black girl mm-hmm. that's supposed to be busting tables for that white boy. Yeah. And there's, like, until we fix that, like, it's always going to be there. It's never, 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 never going away. And I don't know the answers. And that's one of the tough words about the, when I was talking to my kids about the N-word thing is like, these kids aren't hearing this at home. This yeah. isn't Arkansas. This isn't Mississippi. This is the deep south where they've been told since they were two years old, this is what the N-word means. This is what they look like. This is how you treat them. These are what their people are important to them. And this is how you should talk to them. And when they come to school, they're trying to not say it because they're trying to not repeat what they had at home. These kids are listening to the radio or listening to the hip hop, hearing it and thinking, oh, I can say that too. Mm-hmm. And that's what's scary, especially out here on the West Coast in Cali, is these kids, there's just not enough high concentration of black people with these white kids where they feel enough threatened <laughs> that they can't say that. Yeah. That's not, and that's why I, I actually talked to the dean of students at my kid's school. I said, you have a really hard problem. I said, you're going to have to get the parents involved. And the parents don't want to have these conversations with their kids. Two, yeah. white, two white parents don't want to sit their kid down. Let's, let's talk about the N-word, Tommy. You shouldn't say it. And here's why. It's like, what? Get out of here, mom. <laughs> Go get my biscuits. Like, yeah. They're not going to have that conversation. They don't want to. Most of these parents' number one goal, and I've been a football coach for a long time, and why are you know, a separate topic and why the game's changed so much is, the most parents nowadays, number one goal is to keep their kids out of pain and conflict. So the last thing they want to do is be the creation of that pain and conflict and have hard conversations. Yeah. And that's... But even there's no way to enforce it. No. Because possible. you you can come to them and say, <laughs> hey, little Tommy, you know, we don't think you should use this word. And he'll be like, okay, I won't use it. Right. And then he sees his friends and just go, you know, for me, in my high school years... I my my I had I had two lives. There was the lives I I let my parents think 
was happening. Yeah. And then there was the life that I was actually really happening. Living, yeah. It was drugs, alcohol, girls, like... And me and my brother, we would come up with these, like, elaborate lies <laughs> to, to, all right, what did we do last night, you know? To not talk about what we actually did. Right. It was like, okay, we went to downtown Royal Oak, and we, we drove around, and and we would just pepper the conversation. But, oh, yeah, there was this car full of girls that drove by us. Yeah. And it was, like, complete lies <laughs> that we're, you know, and... uh because if our parents would have told us, say, we don't want you doing this or that, we would have just been like, yeah, 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 okay, yeah, sure. Um, I just, yeah, I think, you know, this in San Diego, it's definitely, there is not uh, enough black people that, you know, you would actually fear using that word. No. And it's like white, pe- white, young white boys are teenagers are pretty much the biggest consumers of hip hop music. Right. And, and, and so culture. they begin to take it on in culture and, um, and it's not just, not just, but even like, um, uh, Latino culture, Mexican culture, um, that I was where I work, you know, with these, these girls and, and, and she's like, yeah. you stupid. Yeah. And I'm like, what did you what? just call me? I was like, can you, I'm like, you can't use that word. Sure, I can. And and but then I see the way you know they're they're talking to each other, and it's like be this, be this. Yeah. You know, I mean, this is her. You know, your sister, and you're referring to her as a B. And like right. I, 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 one day I was like, you know, like you're ref- like you're perpetuating this thing, like that's actually not healthy for right. your relationship. Yeah. <laughs> like you think your words don't have meaning. Oh my god! But they do. That's scary. Like if this is the way you talk about them when you um, somebody that you love and you're talking about them in this way, like what's gonna happen? <laughs> what's gonna happen? What happens when you when you're angry oh at them? Yeah. You know, and so, um, yeah. So it, those, and the thing is, what's tough about it too is that there there's really no recourse because you can't touch anybody anymore. Like we grew up in an era where you could fight and be friends. My groomsmen in my wedding, we were in each other's weddings. Brock Lesnar, the wrestler, his little brother. We're grew up, we're groom or cousin, I'm sorry. we we met fighting. Yeah. We met because we got in a fight. Yeah. Like we got in a fight <laughs> at a party. It was like the rowdiest fight. We got up, both walked away, like, man, that boy could fight. We became friends because we had so much respect for each other's fight game. That's funny. That we became buddies. And he was a white boy from the Iron Range. The reason why I fought him is because he was sitting at a party telling black girls things he shouldn't say. Yeah. And then finally he's like, I don't want to go to hell because I don't want to go to hell for having sex with a black girl. And it's like, uh, <laughs> what are you talking about? <laughs> what scriptural <laughs> are you like, reading there? He's like, that is, uh, that, you know, he's like, God hates that. That's why he separated us. That's why they made you that color and me this color. And they made you this and they made me that. Like, it's a sin. And I'm going to go to, it's in, he said, it's unforgivable sin. Was the exact words he used. I'll never forget. It was 1992. I still remember this day. He said, it's an unforgivable sin to have sex outside your race. Wow, and that yeah. Well, the funny thing about that is that's that's not Bible. That's (laughs) that is that is just upbringing and poor teaching. Somebody somebody at that point taught him that. And what's crazy about it, and we became really good friends because 
he literally had no malicious intent. What was frightening about his doctrine is he thought we thought the same thing. Hmm. He's thinking, hey, what are you doing trying to talk to me? You know what's going to happen if we do this. I'm trying to help us. I don't want to go to hell. Do you want to go to hell? Are you crazy? Yeah. Like, And so he's thinking you got told the same thing. You read the same Bible I read. Yeah. And here it is on page 13. You're not supposed to. We're not supposed to do this. Get out of here. Hmm. You're like, what is going on? So they're ready to kill him. I end up fighting him because I'm a fighter. And it was like, we end up getting good buddies. And over the years, he's asked some really hard questions. And it's been like, dude, no. No. That's not true. <laughs> that's not true. That's not yeah. how we feel. That's not how we think. Hopefully, but, that's some of those things can actually, if somebody's willing to grow, yeah. they can undo some of that teaching, bad stuff that we've been taught. Because I think there's stuff that all of us have been taught. Yeah. Um, you know, my, you know, I'm not throwing my mom under the bus, but I remember there was a conversation where she was like, we just think it'd be better <laughs> if you just stayed it within your own race. Right. Um, because, you know, it's just, it, it'll be easier for you. Right. Was the, the idea. Right. And, and we kind of laughed at, we were like, what do you, we go to a mostly black school. We're going to date black girls. Yeah, like, <laughs> Sorry. Um, and the funny thing is, actually, I, I never, I mean, I had, you know, there's some girls I was talking to, but I actually never, you know, um, like really became boyfriend, girlfriend with a black girl or anything like that. Um, I got it worse at home. That's why I was trying to, it's funny because I grew up very diverse. My grandma I had a white Irish grandma and a black grandma. So I had all these white Irish people and there's black people in Chicago. And it was like two different, literally two worlds. It was yeah. like, these guys are so different. And my white grandma was the one that was like always warning me about white people. It was mm -hmm. hilarious. My black family never said anything. Because it's, it's, uh, it <laughs> I was telling the story to somebody else the other day. He's like, well, you're from Chicago or Detroit or D.C. or St. Louis or Oakland. You're a black hood dude. You're not really scared of white people. <laughs> like, you're really not, unless they have a badge. Other yeah. than that, you're like, man, there's not a white boy in the world that can take these hands. You're yeah. not really walking around in fear of other white people. And so you have that, you know, Cedric Entertainer talked about his uh, his skin. is like, I wish somebody would come take my seat. You know, it's like, <laughs> I wish you would come around this corner and catch these hands. You don't want this fame. So you don't really have this this fear of white folks that I think a lot of these guys think that we're all walking around like, oh, my gosh, there's... I'm like, listen, I guarantee you this. 99% of brothers from where I'm from are very comfortable in a room full of white folks. A hell of a lot more comfortable than you would be in a room full of black people. Yeah. Not you, because you're from Detroit, but you know, take some of these guys from North County and take them down to Lincoln High School for a day. They're not going to feel very comfortable. Yeah, yeah. But I got to live in that world every day. Yeah. So it's, it's like, eh, whatever. You know? Yeah. <laughs> um. Why do you, here's a, another loaded topic. Yeah. Because <laughs> I, I said briefly, we'd, we'd talk about Kanye. <laughs> so, um, why does it seem like black people are not allowed to be Republican? What's well, interesting about that, if you look at history, Lincoln was actually Republican and freed the slaves, and a lot of the agendas that the Democrats push now were actually Republican agendas back in the beginning. Yeah. Um, what happened is, in the early, 
when the vote really started to come to black people, they figured out black people to vote. The Democrats started giving black preachers cars and donations and figured out, hey, if we can get the black preachers to preach vote Democrat, then they're going to, you know, all these churches. That was how they really got the South. And then the, obviously the labor union, because black people were industrialized first. The first thing we could do, because guess what? On that line, on that assembly line, in that machine, in that factory, doesn't matter what color I am as long as I do my work. So the whole labor union, labor movement, when those became democratic, it's very much our culture of, hey, in our church, we're told to be Democrats. At work, we're told to be Democrats. Who the hell are you to come in here and tell us to be Republicans? So it's very, and it goes back to what we talked about earlier, Republicans thought to be wealthy, yeah. thought to be educated, thought to be these things, and anti-black. So the minute you talk about, and I've had to correct several white people on this topic of, I'm more black than you because my struggle's harder than you. You're not as black as me. I'm white. I live in a trailer park. I don't have any money and I'm uneducated. My wife, I'm the third baby daddy in my wife's life. So I'm more black than you. And I'm like, well, you might be more hood than me. You might be more ghetto, <laughs> but you're certainly not more black than I am. Yeah. And that's one of those with the Republican Party. Anytime you start pushing agendas of create, well, take care of this gun, you know, all these things, it's, wait a minute, that's all anti-black. And it's really interesting to watch because in the black, I'll say, I hate to use this word, but upper class, Mm-hmm. you can't really talk about it. I'm not allowed to talk about those issues with other black people because it's it's too taboo. It's like, oh, man, let's not talk politics. Let's not talk about this. It's like, well, I'd like to transfer wealth to my grandkids, just like the Bible says. Yeah, yeah. So when did that become a Republican thing? I yeah. knew that was a Republican agenda. I thought that was biblical. <laughs> I yeah. had no idea that creating wealth and transfer to for generations was Something that was owned by the Republican Party. I thought yeah. the Bible said to do that. So what did I miss? And for some reason, we've, you know, me and my brother argue about this all the time because he's definitely a poverty mentality Christian of, like, he can't even come to church with us because he's like, man, all those guys talk about his money. All mm-hmm. they want is money and all this and that. It's like, well, yeah, and you've been broke your whole life. Yeah. Like, and you've always had a struggle. You've never had that kind of sick because you you think it's being more holy, being more Christian. Yeah. And so the black folks that have that, it's much easier. I actually got kicked out. <laughs> I actually do a circuit in San Diego where I used to speak to kids. I got kicked off the circuit because I told kids, don't go to college if school's this hard. I said, listen, if you're working really hard and you're getting C's and D's, college probably isn't for you. Yeah. If high school's this hard and you're trying, Go be a carpenter. Go be a mechanic. Go be a bus driver. Go be a electrician. Go do a trade. Work with your hands. Black folks have been. This is how we got out. This is how most of us created wealth. Yeah. We don't. We weren't allowed in those colleges. We mm-hmm. became journeymen. We became tradesmen, and took care of our families for years. Like, don't be ashamed to go ahead and work with your hands. And be like, what? No, 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 no. Get out of here. That's. We can't talk about that. These kids going to go. I said, so you're going to put that kid in college. He's going to flunk out and go right back to the hood and feel like this is where I belong. Because yeah. this is what it means to be black. Yeah. And so the Republican, and that's what, what's interesting about the quote-unquote Republican Party is it's just as fraction as black people are, or white people for that matter. It's Nobody really owns that agenda. And where Kanye, where Kanye gets a lot of trouble, he was very, very, very critical of Obama. 
very critical for being from Chicago, which is Obama and Kanye. It's very like you're not really allowed. There's a kind of unwritten rules about who you can talk about. You don't really talk. You'll very hear very few Chicagoans talk about R. Kelly. Yeah, yeah. We just don't. We're like, eh, that's. He's one of our like. <laughs> ask me about somebody else, like <laughs> Kanye, like Kanye. So he, for him to throw stones at Obama and talk about you didn't do nothing for my hood and be very vocal, but then at the same time, very recently, be very supportive of Trump. It's confusing to black folks. We're like, yeah. wait a minute, like you just said all this stuff about Obama, and now you're supporting this guy that supposedly is a racist, supposedly doesn't like our people supposedly doesn't promote us and doesn't believe in our agendas. And the reality, what's scary to me is I don't spend a lot of time on the politics. I just look at the, what is the diatribe? What are you really trying to sell me on? Yeah. Like, what are you really trying to convince me of about me and my family? And if people really understand how civics work, like the local government and the state government and the regional government really affects your family a lot more than the presidential office. Yeah. So you know, impact your house, impact your kitchen table, then let's worry about, you know, the next yeah. things. I think Kanye, I don't I don't know that it's, you know, so because Trump ran as a Republican, I think Kanye was always, he was a, a Trump fan. Right. Hip-hop, hip-hop yeah. was a Trump fan. Right. Hip-hop loved Trump until he... Aligned himself with the Republican Party, then everybody's like, "Oh, wait a second. You know, I mean, I, I countless numerous uh, hip hop tracks list growing up. We're all talking about Trump, and because oh, yeah. it's about the wealth, yeah. and, you know, and um, and so that's where I thought, you know, because I was I was watching this uh, the Dave Letterman on Netflix. Uh, this guest needs no introduction or something like that. And uh, he had Kanye in there. I was like, okay, curious to see, you know, Kanye, because he's been a little bit up and down where it's like people love, you know, our, our black people love Kanye because, like, you know, I mean, the music he's brought. But right. there's been this backlash against Kanye because of some of these things he said and because of the way he talks about Trump. And, um, but he was talking in there at one point, and it, it looked to me like they cut some of the conversation. But he talked about, like, I've got friends that voted for Trump, but that no, that nobody, they can't talk about it. No. You know, they, because it's like literally they will get ostracized for talking about that. And, and so that, you know, I, I hate hearing like that it sounds like, you know, that Republican means anti-black. Absolutely. That, ask, that to me is like, oh, that's part of the problem. Mm -hmm. Like, being Republican does not mean you're anti-black. No. Like, it, and it shouldn't be that way. Because I think, you know, I think for black people in, in general, if more of them were Republican, I think they would see more benefit in it than anything that the Democratic Party has been doing for black people. <laughs> well, they don't understand is, like, I mean, the, you look at, like, my family is a story of, you know, I was taken out of Chicago, went up to Minnesota for high school. Um, that high school, but I tell people all the time, I had an NFL experience as a 14-year-old kid. I was told by some white guy in eighth grade, hey, if you do this this year and then have this kind of season, you could come up to high school up here in Minnesota, and if you do well up here – We'll move your whole family up here. You get your family out the projects. This is mm. this is the opportunity I'm presenting to you as a 13 year old kid. Wow, 14 year old kid. So 
here you go, son. Go ahead and get your entire family out the hood. Just go play ball. And it's like, whoa, okay, that's no pressure. I guess I just won't fumble this year or drop any balls or miss any blocks or, you know. And guess what? They tell 15 kids on the team that and tell us we have five spots, right? Okay, we, you tell all of us the same thing and be like, five of you get to come. So, you get, that's right, so now you get to leave. Fast forward, my mom comes up to Minnesota after my freshman year. We live in the school or the townhouses, and they have a welfare to work program. She went from, and they basically tell the kids, tell our families, if you come to Minnesota, we're going to double your welfare, triple your food stamps, give you a townhouse. You don't have to live in the projects anymore. Just make sure your son does what he needs to do. This is the opportunity in front of you. What they didn't understand is that was just the Minnesota welfare system. The Minnesota welfare system was really a rehab system of we're going to equip you and the only way to get these things is we have a welfare to work program that you're going to go to school. We're going to pay for you to learn a trade. We're not going to take your benefits away as soon as you graduate, as soon as you start working. We're going to phase you out over five years Mm -hmm. where you actually almost double your money. You're going to keep all your welfare benefits for at least the first 18 months once you get a real job. We're not going to reduce them one dollar. That's our incentive to you to get in there. So my mom's from being a nineteen hundred a month welfare recipient to a hundred seventy thousand dollar paid master social work employee in like eight years, right? So if that's not a that's a that's and people will tag that as a Republican story, right? Hmm. <laughs> because she pulled herself up, she did her stuff, and the Democrats will be well. We should increase the benefits. Let's just have them more. Let's do this. The reality was if we stayed in Chicago, who knows what would happen? They'd probably yeah. still be in the projects. They'd still be taking those handouts and trying to figure out how to you know, swap EBT cards for cash and doing all those things. And that insertion of time and opportunity and giving her a soft landing spot coming off of welfare really trajected so that my little two sisters, they're not hood at all. Yeah. They're Huxtables. Those guys are, <laughs> they're rich kids, man. Those kids grew up with money. Yeah. They didn't grow up like me and my older siblings. They grew up in a big old house and buying pink Timberlands and getting rides from their parents. I'm like, rides? You guys had a car? We had a train. <laughs> <laughs> like, I was a freshman in college and me, I shared a family with my, I, sh- I got a car from the Boosters. I won't name who. Got a car from the Boosters and my parents shared that car with me. I would drive the car to my parents' house. My dad would drive me back to the dorms and so they could have a car for the weekend. Yeah. Like, and my sisters, there's three cars in the driveway, right? Like, if that's not the story that, that story is not being told enough by the Republican Party to black people to understand mm. that there is a path out of this poverty. It's just going to take yeah. some work. You're probably not going to do the work because hard work is definitely not valuable in this country anymore. And... You have, uh, if you ever read Colin Powell's book, he says, it's really interesting, and he really pissed people off with this because he's a Republican too, was I didn't have a black experience. I was not told America owes me. I was not told America took this from you. I was not told America hung your people. America did this to you. I was told America, you can do anything. If you outwork everybody, if you do this, you do this, you do this. You can do whatever you want. He's like, I was raised as an immigrant. I wasn't mm-hmm. raised. I came in there as free water. Everybody can go for school for free. There's housing. There's all these things. 
And my mom actually, when she was a social, a director of social work back home in Minneapolis, she read for the scariest statistic I've ever heard that 92% of black Americans on the system were second generation recipients of welfare. Mm-hmm. Yet 13%, I'm sorry, 86% of immigrants first generation by the second generation less than 10 of them were even in the system yeah so all the africans the mongs the chinese the indians the they get in they use the opportunity yeah <laughs> use the resources that are given to them and they get out yeah i remember being made i remember i mean i was terrible towards africans and Haitians in chicago and jamaicans and i grew up in a time when jamaicans were scary like Jamaicans that wasn't cool like it is now Jamaicans and Haitians were scary people man yeah. and the, the candles and the dreadlocks and the music you're like I'm not going by the Jamaican house I'll go around the block before I go by the Jamaican house and now one generation later those guys are engineers yeah they're all the they're, what's crazy it's all the black kids I went to school with for college all of those African kids and Haitian kids and Jamaican kids that we made fun of, they're all the ones in college with me. Yeah. Everybody else is still in the hood. Yeah. And the Republican Party, for us, you said something very powerful. That, and it sucks that it's politicized, but that story is very much a Republican story. But at the core of that story is hard work, effort, and determination. And yeah. none of those are core values. I would even say not black America, in America in general. Yeah. I don't think those things are important to us anymore. Yeah. No, I mean, I think, I think get, getting likes on YouTube is more important to us than getting an education. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I think, um, you know, I mean, when you look at American the, the the school scores compared to the rest of the the world, America is like, whoa, it's not good. Wow. It's it's for what we are as a nation, it should be so much higher. But our the way our school, I mean, in our it's not so much the school system school system would love to do it but it's it's the culture we're steeped in this identity that we think we have or we own to that you know that we're we're a generation raised on television television and youtube now and and this is what we idolize we idolize the the athletes and we idolize all these things when it's like um man when you're like you were talking about man it's like Actually, the trades are becoming the the hotbed of jobs. Right. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, you don't need to get, you know, $100,000 in debt and go to a school and get a degree and, um, and, and, and then find yourself can't even get a job once you get out. Like, the, nobody's going after these trade jobs anymore. And there's, so it's like, those are the, they're now becoming the high paid jobs. If you just have a, like a little bit of work ethic in you and you want to do it, you could have a great job and a yeah. great career. Um, yeah. So I, I just, I think, uh, I just, I would love to see, um, more black people, uh, that were not so much loyal to the, the Democratic Party because I honestly don't believe the Democratic... Uh, like, the welfare system, in my opinion, like, because I, I even saw um, last... 
So a couple of years ago, I like my income dipped after uh, a job change where I was like, oh, wow, I actually might need some uh, like I was in between jobs. And so I was like collecting unemployment while I was doing that. And then I, I was like, oh, I can get this cow fresh. And and so last year, I remember, you know, I got a job. So unemployment stopped, but I was still getting this the cow fresh, yeah. pretty much food stamps. Right. And I was getting like like three hundred dollars a month for it, and so then I, I remember reporting or like reporting, and I'm like, wait a second, I you know all of a sudden they took away money <laughs> after I reported my income, and I was kind of like, well this stinks, you know like yeah. now so it, it put me in this out. mentality yep. that I was like, wait a second, so either I stay what I'm making. And I get this three hundred dollar benefit, or I work harder, get another job, spend more time away from my family, and then they take the benefit away. And I'm like, well, I might as well just sit. I might as well just not, you know, uh, work harder. Yeah. I was like, this is the trap. Exactly. I was like, what? I was like, oh my gosh, this is the trap that happens for welfare. It's like I can't if I make more money, they take more benefits away. So then they're like, well, I don't want to make more money then. And that's and, exactly what happened. That was interesting. You just had it on the Calfresh side. Imagine that's tied to your housing, your healthcare costs, yeah. your transportation costs. Because in Chicago, you make too much money, you lose your transportation car. You lose your. My parents are paying seventeen bucks a month in the projects. Yeah. Their income was so low. Seventeen dollars a month. For rent, right? Wow. They make yeah. too much money, they're out. They gotta go find real housing. And then they and black people, poor people especially, we don't know nothing about taxes. Yeah. We don't know. We think ten dollars, twenty hours, that's two hundred dollars. Uh uh. That's not how it works, son. Yeah. You're not getting two hundred dollars. You're getting one thirty. Yeah. And you're like, wait, who's FICA? Yeah. And why did he where'd he go? And where'd he go with my money? And who's this who's state taxing? What's SDI? And, so that's really, so it's really hard, and that's why that I've always applauded. It's too bad it's gone. That welfare to work system in Minnesota, exactly. That's what didn't happen to my mom. Yeah, they didn't take the eighteen months guaranteed. Yeah, we're not going to touch your benefits. That that's and me. We sounds... wean you off. Yeah. So she was getting benefits. What's crazy? She was making like seventy grand, still getting food stamps because yeah. she was in that program. Wow. So even seventy thousand dollars, she was still getting food stamps because she. She was a graduate of the program. Yeah. And uh, what was crazy was interesting and really smart. They let them donate them back if they wanted. Because it was still the old days where they, like, gave you food stamps. Right? Yeah. It wasn't. Yeah. It wasn't. They mailed them to you. You sat by the mailbox and waited for the postman to come. Yeah. Yeah. It was that experience that I, I, I finally realized, like, the kind of the trap in it. I was like, oh, wow. Man, oh, yeah. my gosh. Like, I, I realized in that moment, I was like, wait a second, Scott. Like, you're, you know not wanting to work harder in this moment because it could affect your benefits. Yeah. That's the same trap that, that people get caught in all over across this country. And I was like, man, this is not good. <laughs> oh, and by the way, if you want that, that makes you a Republican. If you want more money, you want more stuff, all of a sudden you're a Republican. It's crazy to me. It's yeah. Like, when did they get to own the value of prosperity? Yeah. Up and coming or making that next step. I was like, I didn't know that was Republican value i thought it was american yeah. value i yeah. thought so when did that change for us and it's, yeah and the thing is a lot of people don't talk about and i'm i'm you're one of them it's the poor white folks like the people talk about the the poor white people out there that you know and that's one of the things i think that the black community 
I hear a lot from is Trump has polarized these white versus black with his issues with his sex. Like he didn't really got to be careful with that because a lot of that was just social media and the ability to unite, if you will, the alt-right and all these things. These are angst that's always been there. They just yeah. never really had a vehicle to possess it. I don't know if I'm not convinced that Trump was out there saying, all right, poor white people, let's go get them. I don't, uh, yeah. and that's, and what's crazy is the poor white people, they're even more crazy to me than the poor black people. It's like, you're going to go that way too. Okay. That's, that's different. Didn't know you were going to fall in line like that. And that's, those, that's, that's to me even more surprising as yeah. far as the politicize of it. And I've never really spent a lot of time in the politics because I spent so much time in DC when I was lobbying, where I was doing defense contracting that if you go behind the doors of Washington, they're all the same, man. It's, it's hilarious. You walk in and I literally had a Republican lobbyist and a Democrat lobbyist. And it was always the same story. It was, it's, his name is Andre Johnson. It was like a game show. He's Andre Johnson. He's an engineer. He's from here. He has this great product and he's black. <laughs> it's like, here I go, guys. I'm the black guy. Congratulations. Democrat, Republican, independent. It didn't matter. That was the same story, and I got the same response every time. It was hilarious. It was like, okay, guys. And it's like, and then if I and it was funny. And all you do is if you if you're trying to remember, you're like, okay, which party is this? Just look up at the wall. If you see Reagan, you're like, okay. Yeah. This is Republican House. If you look up and see some brother with a shovel cutting a ribbon or a hat or Martin Luther King holding a book, you're like, oh, these are the Democrats. Yeah. But other than that, it's really, really, really hard to tell once you get into the innards of politics especially back in dc yeah because hmm. there are the fringes don't get me wrong but yeah. most of these guys are come on man. yeah well i don't want to keep you too much okay. longer here but uh well uh what one question i do like to ha- yeah. ask when people come on the show is you know what are you what are you watching what do you listen to what you reading well I'm, I'm trying to watch when they see us Oh, yeah. Which is very hard for me mm. because it's very... I was in high school at that time. And um, shortly after that, I actually did a pretty long stint in with juvenile the, detention. The, the New York... The Harlem Five. Harlem Five. Yeah. Is that oh, what, Central yeah. Park Five. Central Park Five, yeah. So it's basically, you know, it's been, I can't... I'm having a hard time. I'm, I'm trying to finish it, but I'm working on it. Trying to finish it. I'm actually trying to see if I can get my kids to watch it so they understand some things. I'm rereading right now, believe it or not, I'm rereading Freakonomics. Mm. Um, just because I've kept hearing these stories about them. I'm like, i got to reread this book. I didn't realize they made a movie or documentary about it. <clears throat> I watched it. I was like, oh, wow, i got to read this book again. So I'm rereading Freakonomics. I always read Think and Grow Rich at least once a year. I've done that for 25 years. Um, yeah, so, Freakonomics is one of the I, one of the podcasts I listen to. Oh, really? So, oh, yeah, yeah. They got a podcast. Oh, really? I didn't know that. Got, I have to check that out. Yeah, it's always got some good stuff on there. But I always watch, you know, I'm watching that when they see us. And um, I watch, uh, I always watch Bloomberg Technology because of the nerd in me. I can't help myself. <laughs> every 9 o'clock every night with Emily Chang on Bloomberg. Um, and then, obviously, they're just really trying to get through Freakonomics again. Um, I listen to right now, like I said, I'm really into metal again right now. I'm listening oh, yeah. to all the old Metallica. I didn't see the grunge thing. I was already in college by then. So I kind of missed, I did play against Chris, um, from Soundgarden. Chris Cornell was actually from, uh, Coop yeah. Rapids, Minnesota. He's a wide receiver. I played against him in high school. 
He was a what? He was a wide receiver. He's a really Chris good Cornell was a wide, wide receiver. Wide receiver in high school, Coon Rapids High School. How did I know? Yeah, he actually, uh, if you ever remember that song, he's looking California but feeling Minnesota. Like, yeah, yeah. That line? yeah. So uh, there's actually a movie Keanu Reeves did called Feeling Minnesota that was about the line in the, in the song. But yeah, he's a pretty damn good little wide receiver in high school. <laughs> Before he uh, moved out to Seattle and became a, a grunge guy. But yeah, Metallica. Um, like some of the older, the Led Zeppelins, the Black Sabbath, didn't really like Iron Maiden that much. But re-listening to some of that stuff, and then I always, you know, if, I, if I'm Amazon Alexa if at my house, it's usually Eric B. Rakim, a rapper called Paris that nobody knows because he's from Chicago. <laughs> and then um, I do like a Cheeto XL a lot if anybody's really listening to enlightened um, hi, like he's one of those guys you got to pause, rewind, pause, rewind. You're like, yeah, yeah. That's too many big words, man. I got to get a dictionary out. <laughs> and uh, one of his favorite, one of my favorite lines, he says, and, and most people, you'll know this because you remember the show. But he says, you know, hey, he said he uses, so, he actually knows it. He says, he said, I use so many big words. I'm gonna have brothers looking for Webster's like George Papadopoulos, <laughs> 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 referring to the Webster's dictionary and the little Webster yeah, yeah, show with Webster. the little, little black gremlin. Yeah. Back in the day, but yeah, but that's what I'm doing, man. It's been I fun. know it's funny because my my kids, um, <laughs> there is this uh, we we get a, like um HD antenna and it's, it's got some like local mm. channels yeah. and there's like this Me TV or something like that, mm. and so it's got like all the old shows. Yeah. So <laughs> like um, different strokes, Gilligan's wow. Island, all. So we were watching different strokes, Gary <laughs> Coleman. Oh, no. And my kids were loving it. My wow. my five year old, you know, Maddox is just like, "What you talking about, Willis?" <laughs> <laughs> Mister Drummond and oh, yeah. uh, and so we and then me. and then we started watching Gilligan's Island and and they Skipper. yeah I was like man these are some good shows so I got in there well Andre we're gonna have to do this again soon All right, man. I good. I mean looking at the time like. We could just keep going oh, for yeah, a we'll couple more hours here, yeah. <laughs> uh, so we'll definitely have to do this again. And uh, but yeah, it's good having you on the show. And thank you. Uh, thank you. Thanks, man. All right, have a good one. Thank you for listening to the Part of the Noise podcast. You can follow the show on Instagram at Part of the Noise Podcast. If you love the show. Be sure to rate and review us. It helps us get noticed by others. I'm Scotty Hughes, and we'll see you next time.